Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 130, Catelyn Stark, Chapter 2, In a Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And Eliana. <laughs> Eliana. Me? Eliana. Eliana. That, that is my name. Eliana, if this is a clash of kings, why am I only concerned about all the queens in this chapter holding it down? Oh. Hey. 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 It's not the war of the three queens. Not yet. But there are some queens for sure in this chapter. I'm very excited. We are, we're going to get introduced to a couple people in this chapter, a couple of new faces that haven't even really been on the podcast some in a long time, right? Uh, we, we've seen them. We've seen them all, but mm-hmm. we're going to be reintroduced to Renly Baratheon. Ugh, put that one in the fire. Uh, Brienne, and of course, Marjorie, Miss Marjorie again. So this is a really fun perspective to see them through. And of course, I'm sure that you noticed with our last episode that these probably will get longer. Gone, gone were the chapters of summer from a Game of Thrones, right? Uh, maybe, maybe it is still summer. Quite right. summery for all of us, literally in the world, <laughs> because of climate change. And winter is fucking coming, is what I'm trying to say. You know, now we're the nights of two-hour episodes. Yeah. But I mean, I'm gonna be real with all of you. I do, I do hope we 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 keep it snappy this episode, for my sake. Yes. Speaking of other episodes that we do, and within certain time limits, these don't necessarily have any sort of defined length. But we do have our Patreon episode this month, July. When this comes out for the public, it will be July. And this month's Patreon episode will be an A Song of Ice and Fire episode. Yes, to be announced, but it will be very fun. Patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon for our stranger tier, our $5 tier and above. Our $10 tier, the Thunder tier, can get over on our Discord and hang out and chit chat and come to brunch slash happy hour play Jackbox games and do some giveaways. This past month, we had a really fun Pride-themed, Pridesentation. Pridesentation! Sorry, theme. Uh, it was awesome. So that's our Thunder tier. There's a ton of really fun perks. There's some physical gifts that go out for the Thunder tier and above. Come on over. Come hang out with us. It'll be a blast. And we are still determining the date for next month's brunch slash happy hour. And so stay tuned for that. And be sure to check out our His Dark Materials episodes. If you're a fan, we are back in action with the Amber Spyglass just released for the end of the month. Those will be out Fridays for the public, so head on over to a streaming platform near you and make sure you're listening to those if you like those dark materials. Yeah. They are, oh my god, the Amber Spyglass chapters are lit. Uh, They're going to be real sad, just like the Catelyn chapters, but... (laughs) before we jump into this week's episode and before even our very extensive lightning round this is actually not an email or tweet of note it is technically a discord i guess chat of note um that we pulled from the pov discussion channel uh, on our discord from our friend maddie and 
It says, I think Rob's crown definitely reinforces a lot of the themes about political power in A Clash of Kings, the false past being used to justify modern political power. Rob's crown is modeled after descriptions of the king in the North's crown, but no one has actually ever seen it, especially Lord Hoster Tully Smiths, who aren't even Northmen. Who knows what Torin Stark wore when he knelt to Aegon, or Theon Stark when he drove the Andals into the sea, or Brandon the Builder when he raised Winterfell. It's all lost. Rob's crown is a forgery, a shadow of the crown of the kings of winter. We see the fake crown, a shadow of a shadow of a shadow, that Theon wears later in the book as almost a continuation of this. The North, the Rivermen, and the Ironborn are all telling themselves convenient lies to justify their new political system. The kingdom in the North and on the Trident is wholly invented. It was invented the moment the Greyjohn yelled, There sits the only king I mean to bend my knee to! And by the Great John, we mean Yogi. Um, and not a second before. Yet here the boy king is, wearing a crown his ancestors probably wore, forged in a land they never ruled. The same with the Ironborn. They never conquered the North or had much of an empire, but yet there Theon sat as Prince of Winterfell, telling his almost brother he can rule part of his fake kingdom while Theon makes his own. And of course, this is going to reverberate even more when we get into Renly, whose entire claim is transparently based on fables and lies. This is such great further analysis on Rob's crown, and I loved this take, because there is something that doesn't feel holistic, right, about... For example, last chapter, the way Rob treated Cleos Frey, who, I don't know, I know some mediocre people, and Cleos is just like an alright guy. I don't know, he seems alright. I do feel a little bad for him that he got the end of that kingly brunt, you know. Uh, so as we forge these new alliances and forge these new lands and crowns and see some of these rules get bent in different ways and different traditions get broken and different oaths get sworn and then also oaths and vows get broken that really seems to resonate i think that's a great depiction of the crown and especially as we get into renly as maddie mentioned for this episode right where you have that shiny copper man sitting there with his little baratheon antlers that's interesting and in the same way right these both crowns, you know, I love that you brought in Renly's crown and the way that it, it's kind of going off of the Baratheon stag and everything, right, is, is no longer real. It, it's very much like Baudrillard's discussion of the simulacra and the simulation where the thing gets, the original, right, gets copied over and over again and, like, based on the symbols that people associate with it until this final product, this final representation is no long, there's no resemblance and is so far divorced from it. And that's what's going on, I think, with the Northern Crown, where it's it's getting divorced, like, as Maddie points out. We don't know what that looks like, but still pulling all those same symbols in order to do this, a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. You're just bouncing shadows off of walls to recreate this. And that's the same with Renly's crown, right? Like, how far divorced is this from the Baratheons? And, and you know, it's no longer real, right? It's There's no relationship to reality in terms of they're just doing whatever they want in terms of who they're going to set up as king. And it's there's no basis in that claim as much as Renly tries to say that there is. And we'll, we'll get mm -hmm. into that. That comes up later in this chapter. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about some false kings, though we have to shout out a real king during our Clash of Kings, our friend Phocian, who's modeling some great 3D stuff. And I've heard and maybe seen some rumors of Rob's crown being made and almost in a meta way, completely from description only, right? Which is like Hmm. the coolest thing because that's how Rob's crown was made. It was made from the description of this great crown. So... Phocian has truly been a, a great smith in making this, and we'll have to, I, I hope someday it's a public thing that we can yeah. share out there and post photos or post links to, because I'm sure that's a business I would like a part of. I would like a crown, personally. Yeah, I was like, but what if we could wear it one day? Not just post. What if Phocian just, like, made crowns? Wow. I mean, Maybe I don't I guess want that one Phocian anymore. Is. I mean, I do. <laughs> it's, I guess, just making crowns. Uh, Well, (laughs) more on that business and the uh, confines, right? The royal raiments that confine you to that power much later. But, Eliana, I know one of your favorite things are reviews. And we got a review that is my favorite review. We got a review that is great podcast. Five stars. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It looks like it's from a friend named Mike. Absolutely love that one of these girls drops f bombs like no other. First of all, which you, one, Mike? Yeah, which one? I actually legitimately we we legitimately don't know. There's a Modern Family episode where Mitch <laughs> and Cam, this couple on the show, argue about who had the crush on them of this guy from their work or one of their works, and uh, that's kind of how this feels. I'm like, which one of us, Mike? Which one of us drops the f bomb the most? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're both pretty. You know, recently We're you aggressive. and I, yeah, you recently you and I had to do something where we couldn't curse on it. We're like, okay, and we had just gotten this review, and we're like, all right, so this is gonna be, this is gonna be fun. Then. A challenge, yeah. It was For, an opportunity to improve yeah. ourselves. Yeah, I guess, I but I didn't fucking like it. I fucking hated it. We stepped up to the challenge. I see what you uh, did there, Chloe. Also, also, um, yeah, you haven't you haven't called this out as uh, my allegedly favorite thing in a while. <laughs> oh the Maybe itunes Apple review sorry iTunes i yeah. haven't no i haven't and i just wanted to rediscover this oh part God. of your personality before we forge our way through a big lightning round a thunderstorm we will anyway so mike if you're caught up in listening to these episodes or when you do catch up please let us know which one of <laughs> which one it email is email us mike also to the other listeners please also email us or tweet us at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, uh, and let us know which one of us you think it is. Or or know for sure that it is, because I'm curious. Get at that Gmail. I have to know, is it me or is it Eliana? Who gets the rose? Who gets the rose? Well, in this episode, which, which it's rose? Marjorie. Marjorie has yeah. the rose. Or, or it's Renly, because Renly's or got Renly. all the roses around him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well... Without further ado, let's get into our Lightning Lord round. This is a big one. Tyrion 2. Tyrion's plans for Janos Slint are put into motion. Tyrion talks to Varys about the happenings in the city. Arya 3. Arya and the others must go off the beaten path to avoid the gold cloaks. Arya finds wolves in the forest. Davos 1. Davos watches the seven burn at the hands of Melisandre and Stannis. Hey, we did that POV. <laughs> I know. Theon won. Theon returns to Pike after a decade, but his father rejects him and his proposal for an alliance. 
I'll get a new one. (laughs) Daenerys won. Daenerys follows the great comet deeper into the sand, and her blood riders lead her to Karth. John 2. John investigates White Tree, an abandoned free folk village. John and JR discuss how Benjen may have reacted to the village. Arya 4. Lannister raiders attack the holdfast Arya and others are camping in, and Yorin orders her to help evacuate the survivors. Tyrion 3. Tyrion and Cersei fight fire with fire. That, not not exactly yet. Not literally. That's later in this book. But by putting out rumors <laughs> that Stannis' daughter is illegitimate. Sorry, figuratively. <laughs> Bran 2. The North begins to arrive for the Harvest Feast. Clay Serwin brings news of Stannis' declaration, and Bran dreams of a golden man throwing him from a tower. I don't know him. Tyrion 4. Tyrion yeah. knows that the only way to figure out who's rat is to lay them a trail of cheese. I want to be a rat. I love cheese. I also Sansa love too. cheese. <laughs> Sansa 2. Sansa heads to the godswood to meet her Florian. She runs into Sandor Clegane on her way back. I see you, Chloe. Coincidence? I think not. Arya 5. Arya's identity is revealed to Gendry, Lamy, and Hot Pie. As they seek refuge, they come across Gregor Clegane's camp, which leads to their capture and to Lamy's demise. What the fuck, Salami? It's <laughs> my favorite moment fuck. of season four. Tyrion 5. Tyrion begins a new production of Wildfire. Cleos Frey brings Rob Stark's peace terms. Tyrion finds his rat. Hmm. Bran 3. House Reed arrives at Winterfell, and Lord Bran hears their words and welcomes them to his hearth. Catelyn 2. Catelyn tracks to Bitterbridge, where King Renly's camp hosts a great melee, resulting in a new addition to his king's guard, Brienne of Tarth. Renly tells Catelyn Rob must bend the knee to him. A messenger arrives with the news of Stannis sieging Storm's End. So, we're going to start this out again with a quote. With a sermon? Yes, with a sermon. From the Book of Cat. <laughs> uh, time to do the, the sign of the cross. They are Catholic, you know, these tullies. Um, as she slept amidst the rolling grasslands, Catelyn dreamt that Bran was whole again and that Arya and Sansa held hands, that Rickon was still a babe at her breast. Rob... Crownless played with a wooden sword, and when all were safe asleep, she found Ned in her bed, smiling. Sweet it was, sweet and gone too soon. Dawn came cruel, a dagger of light. She woke aching and alone and weary, weary of riding, weary of hurting, weary of duty. I want to weep, she thought. I want to be comforted. I'm so tired of being strong. I want to be foolish and frightened for once. Just for a small while. That's all. A day. An hour. That is how the kids are saying, hella relatable dog. That is, in this year, our good lord, (laughs) Catalan's year of 2021, that is mad relatable dog. Hella. Never. That's... (laughs) That's it. It is. And kind of interesting in, you know, put against Danny's chapters probably, 
in this book, right, where she has to, she kind of feels the same way, um, and is probably going to feel the same as Kat in some of these, like, next subsequent paragraphs, right? But also this, this opening sets the pace for the chapter, where Catelyn again and again has to, like, remind herself that, I'm tired, but I've got to be strong and fierce, right? Especially because she has to perform amongst these southern lords. And, you know, in, in the north, as Catelyn Stark, Ned's wife, but also in general, she's been there long enough that they respect her. We've talked about that and seen that in the previous few chapters of Cat. But now she's finding herself, strangely, a stranger to all of these southern politics who are actually kind of more sexist towards her than we see that the northern lords act, right? And when the northern lords do reassort, reassert patriarchal systems onto, like, Cat, like, giving her opinion, they're at least, I think, kind of, like, polite and courteous about it, unlike people like Randall Tarley and... They're, they're much more brusque about it, and I'm also just like, damn, how has no one killed Randall Tarly in his sleep? What, Randall put lie in her pussy, Tarly? You don't, Man, yeah. you don't understand why no one's murdered the shit out of that guy? I hope someone does, for Sam's sake. I legitimately shit, yeah. don't know. I'm just like... You know, I the mean, way he might not want that. That's complicated. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm surprised he didn't... Someone didn't seriously to Robert him, you know? Yeah, he's he's a he's, he's a, a piece of work. He is a real piece of work, and all of these men kind of are. It's definitely as we'll talk. It's kind of a boys' club, right? It's kind of like it's almost like she knows that, and and maybe this comes from just having like family members that are a little more conservative. But there's a certain way that I have to act in front of certain family that maybe I can't act myself in front of them or be myself. And she obviously knows she can't be herself herself here. And there's a certain way you're supposed to act to fit into these groups, like a freaking country club, you know? Um, it's like all these guys sat, standing around at the country club having their, their, their bourbon while Renly does his little show and parade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and everyone, it is like a parade. Everyone's loud as hell. It's a big-ass party. She wants them to go away. She's very tired of all the men. Uh, even some of the northerners she's a little tired of. It, it is a mood. She she thinks it was her children she yearned for. One day, she promised herself as she lay abed me every morning. One day, she would allow herself to be less than strong. But not today. It could not be today. As my alarm goes off at 7 a.m. every morning. Sam. <sighs> Big Sam. Big Sam. <sighs> Catalan struggles to dress herself with her injured hands. Also same. Though Wendell Manderly offers her roast quail, she declines. And she's like, oat and bread is fine. That is fine enough for her. Fine enough as it is for everyone. And I think this is kind of significant that Catelyn says it is fine enough for her because part of the respect that the Northmen show her is because of where she stands within their system, right? As mm -hmm. the wife of Ned Stark, the Lord Paramount, now the mother of the king. But here she's saying none of us need to be eating fancy shit, which I think is quite in contrast to what we're not only going to see in Renly's camp soon, but also the way that we see the treatment of Stannis and his soldiers when they're marching in the north, right? It, the weather's horrendous. No one has any provisions, like hardly anyone does. And yet still the king and the highborns, like Asha, get a larger and better cut. Whereas here, Catelyn is saying, we don't do that. We're different. Built mm -hmm. different. We're not like those men at the country club. Wasteful. 
Jeff Bezos standing oh motherfucker God. with their lion vagina. Anyway, Manderly, <laughs> Sir Manderly's kind of bummed about that, though. He he definitely was like, oh, I was kind of hoping that she wanted roast quail because I Same. wanted roast quail. And then we could have all just had roast quail, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and though he loves food, Catelyn notes, he does love his honor more. So he's like, okay. Shad offers her some nettle tea and we get some exposition about him, of how Shad is from Winterfell. He's one of the 20 good men. 20 good men comes up more than once in this chapter, okay? Not not that exact phrase, but the general idea. Accompanying her to visit Renly. And there's also been uh, five lordlings sent along with her for, you know, just gravitas. 20 good men. A trope to put in the canon. <laughs> It's like fucking canon, all right. It it really frustrates me that it is, but I, I just <laughs> to everyone feel it needs was to, there. Everyone needs to feel it with me, okay? You either die or you live long enough to see yourself adapt the books. Anyways, oh my god, I'll be speaking about this in a bit, but I do think that this aligns so well with Bran's two Harvest Feast chapters we just kind of passed by in the lightning round. Uh, he sits with Wyman Manderly right during the the northern kind of come together for the harvest feast while Catelyn here sits with Wendell mm. almost simultaneously and Sir Wendell is really upset about the food kind of circling back to what you were saying and it, it is such a hard topic because Catelyn is being practical right like you mentioned she is being practical she doesn't want to overstep her bounds she is also depressed so mm, like yeah she probably doesn't want a fucking big feast right now she's probably eating food for its nutrition and to keep strength to function on her trip mm -hmm. and she probably also doesn't want to put anyone out like she's a widow and yes she is you know a, a young woman born of river run she's of noble blood which means obviously they wouldn't mistreat her necessarily like they don't mistreat sansa born mm -hmm. of noble blood getting the shit beat out of her at the capital but i mean less hostile terms uh <laughs> she's born of noble blood but like they don't i mean river run didn't always serve the north and hasn't always been serving the north mm -hmm. right like this is a recent past you know half century thing of a great alliance being born so out of respect and out of respect for her as ned's widow of course they're going to be kind to her but they don't have to be uh, as we see with widows in the story they don't have to be treated kindly and valued and she doesn't want to put anyone out and yeah all of these dudes are performing for her also is the other thing right like they're trying to be sweet in several ways one she's the only lady they have in their court right now right like they might probably have camp followers. We don't see that because Catelyn's not paying attention to that. But they're like, let us perform for you. Let us hunt things, our woof, woof mother. Like, trophies. Let us bring you back trophies, Catelyn. I want to mm. hunt you a quail, Lady Stark, to make up for the sadness and loss and despair you're feeling right now. So it is very sweet. It's kind of cute in a way that they're like, let us do this for you. Or, oh, Lady Catelyn, let me do this for you. Because uh, it is what they're supposed to do societally speaking you know they should be respectful and kind to her um but it, it's just hard because like you know when you're depressed you don't want to do things at all and Catelyn has to do a lot of things right now at all like a lot of them and yeah she's just trying to be practical and it's hard it's hard and i think what you're saying about her appetite that's absolutely true because it comes up again later on Mm -hmm. at the feast in the castle but you know i think that's a great observation of like yeah. how everyone everyone is feeling yeah kind of trying to impress her 
and comfort her. Some of it is just maybe they're just nice young men. Um, or not. We don't know that they're all young, but yeah, they're just nice. And some of it could be, you know, kind of like the same vibes as like Theon Greyjoy lifting Catelyn out of the boat. And we're like, all right. What, MILF vibes? Yeah. Like, oh, is that, sorry. Is that wrong vibes. Wrong vibes. No, no, no. That is what I'm saying, though. Like, some of them were like, all right. Hot young A widow. feast for crows. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that, too, in just a few, actually. Yeah. but In Kat widow terms. But Kat didn't want this responsibility, the one that we're talking about right now. But all she, she d- didn't want the responsibility of being sent on this journey. <laughs> to to treat with Renly mm-hmm. because she hardly knows Renly and wants to be by her father during his last days, obviously. And I mean, the problem is like, Catelyn, you propose an idea, right? Like, oh, we should go to Renly. Sometimes people are going to be like, okay, well, you came up with the idea. Now you got to go follow through with it. And I'm just like, haven't you learned this lesson yet, Cat? That's what happens when you Project come up with management ideas. Project Management 101. 101. <sighs> Uh, and, and Rob says it has to be her, right? Hoster's sick. Brynden's essential. He has to march. And she's like, whoa, 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 let's rewind that a second, little little sir. What what did you say? March? And Rob's like, I have to keep my Northmen entertained. And Catalin is like, okay, we planted seeds. Let them grow. And you know what? I'm like, no, Catelyn, we did that, right? We planted seeds. And it's 10 years later, and there's like, I don't know, 12, 20 more books left in this series. And also, Rob agrees with me. We can't just, we can't just fucking let plant seeds and just watch and let them grow, all right? We don't got time for that. Uh, I personally do not. Yeah. There, there's something so significant, though, right, about, about this choice being made without her being invited to that choice. Like, that was an indicator, what we just read, where, like, Oh, interesting. You're marching. No one told me that. I've Absolutely. been here. Absolutely. And and like his justification of like, well, I have to, you know, keep the Northmen entertained. I find that to be like an interesting justification. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second with how else we see that manifest in this chapter. Oh, because it manifests in other places. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I do think there's a little bit of it that's guilt, right? That he, mm. I mean, he can't bear to look at her without thinking of his two little sisters and his dead dad, right? Like, those are already a body count on top of also uh, the Karstarks and other men lost already in front of him in his war mm-hmm. and not in front of him. And he knows Catalan's right in a lot of aspects. And even though she's right, as we discussed last episode, it's a lot of impossible position to be in. Very impossible positioning going on here that, like, no matter which way you turn, you got to lose an extremity, right? You got to sever a limb to get through this one way or another. And obviously, Catalan being right by saying, like, this, you can't do this because this is going to happen. Can't do this because this is going to happen. Like, a mom over your shoulder playing chess isn't helpful, which we've discussed. Uh, But also, being right isn't what being king in the North is about for the Northern men. You know, like, they aren't seeing it in those same things. And, and there's all those tones of rebellion that are really coming up here. Rob-bellion, if you will. <laughs> Robert and Rob alike. Winning the war, losing the girl, the girls, the girls, many yes. women. Uh, Elia left the horrors of King's Landing, Liana in her tower, while the men bloody each other for lands and rights and tax relief to Sansa, to Jane, to everything. To, to come back to the seeds and the planting of the seeds, though, 
I think it's important that Rob brings that gardening up as Bran is playing Lord in Winterfell at the Harvest Feast. Rob notes the importance, right? He says, I cannot sit at River Run waiting for peace. It makes me look as if I were afraid to take the field again. When there are no battles to fight, men start to think of hearth and harvest. Father told me that even my Northmen grow restless. So we're exploring a lot of those similar themes between Brand 2 and Brand 3 to this chapter. Secession, later bastardy in the story, what makes a ruler, the Lannisters' corruption, and of course the North's hardcore loyalty and lealty. But while Rob leads his battles, that path for the North, the whole path that like the North is about to be taken is unraveling beneath this chapter. Theon's landed at Pike to a not great response. No one mm. listens to Danella Hornwood because her tits were too loud, and she gets yeeted by Ramsay. The North is on its way to like being <laughs> sorry for the way that I am. <laughs> no one listens don't, to her don't though. Don't be sorry. She's just slutting it up at Winterfell, you know, with all these prospects <laughs> on the line. Danella Hornwood. Ah, uh, talk about boning. You know, because she had to eat her finger to the bone. Oh my god. Um, look, the North is on its way to eventually running out of grain in a couple books. And also running out of people to run it, question mark, until all the Starks come back to life while, you know, all the men are down in the South warring. Uh, watching this balancing act being pulled by Rob, Bran, and Catelyn as they navigate something that hasn't been done in over 200 years and hasn't been done for a reason... It's hard as fuck. It's going to take a lot of fucking work and a lot of people working together. And I mean, if this Northern independence shit was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Everyone would fucking yeah. be doing Northern independence. We'd all be independent. But Okay, hot take. In this book, everyone is doing it. <laughs> okay, well, the <laughs> Clash of Kingsing, I get it. <laughs> hot take. But if are. it was easy, they'd be doing it successfully is what I mean, Eliana. And True. none of them are. They all suck right now. Except everyone Rob is like, a, yeah. you know, he's a good boy. Everyone <laughs> a good a man, job. sorry. So they're all independent together and therefore not independent. <laughs> Maybe the independents are the non-allies we made along the way hmm what well, that's that's a thought it's a thought it's not a good thought but it's no a thought. rob also says that he wants peace right same as catelyn but says that the lannisters won't give it to them if they don't make any noise and rob does say though he's isn't marching on harrenhal though so thinking face emoji <laughs> hmm he goads Catelyn with saying, well, either you go treat with Renly or I'm going to send the Grey John. Catelyn's like, that's bait. But she she admires her son for doing it anyway, for, for putting it out there. I love that she's like blues cluesing her way through. Oh, so it's not. Hmm. So where where are you marching? Can you give me a, what does it sound like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Piecing it together. And... and then she goes to leave after this, right? She says goodbye to her father, and she's like, I fucking hope he survives. Hope this guy doesn't die while I'm gone, because I don't need that guilt on my conscience, because hell knows what that'll do to a person. You know, it could impound, zombify them, make them a, a creature of merciless vengeance. Anyways, Hoster mistakes her for Minissa when she visits once again, and Catelyn says as she leaves, Wait for me, my lord, she said as his eyes closed. I waited for you, oh, so many times. Now you must wait for me. Wait 
from me. Oh my god, no. Coming away. <sighs> she says those lines. Don't save his last time. It's like, oh, my heart just breaks. And then Hades Town plays in the background. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Satan. I didn't come prepared to this podcast for you to all of a sudden bring Hades Town into it, but. Oh. Also, oh, it's here. the Amber Spyglass. What? Anyways. Mm. Anyways. Cat feels that she keeps being pushed to go further south when she has to actually be going back north. But she resigns herself to thinking that, oh, Rob needs me more. So we see Catelyn Stark, you know, being forced further and further south to, you know, where she's going to die um, in the south. Never returning That's north to fuck. Winterfell, uh, to where her children are, just like her husband. And I, I do think it's interesting when you put that together with the culture shock that she's in, been experiencing when she's like, what the fuck is going on here? And she looks at all the Southern like lords and their kingdoms. And then I also put that next to Ned's warning of like, you know, when Starks go south, they tend to die, right? As he thinks of his father and brother and sister. And, you know, it, in regards to our discussions of Catelyn is also very much a Stark now. That kind of ends up happening to her. Is that why she dies here in the South? So I do think it's funny, right, that Sir Wendell is kind of guiding them there. Sir Wendell Manderly, right, here ah. by the Upper Mander. And as ah. we know, the Manderleys used to be based along the Mander, right? That's that's where they get their name from. So there's an interesting oh. returning of like home, but not returning home, right? When we're talking about people who are no longer Southern. I mean, as, as you pointed out when we discussed this last time, the Manderleys. And like Wendell isn't even like, oh yeah, we used to live here. Probably. That's what I've been told. <laughs> it reminds me of Cheryl from Archer uh, when she's talking about oh. the neighbors and she's like, total shitbox. Uh, that's how I feel like Wendell's just walking by. Oh, yeah, that place. Total shitbox. We had to move. Pretty you much. Know, after mom and dad gave me the master bedroom, we had to move. Oh, my no, God. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, it. that's astute, though, with the, the southern connections of people that are no longer able to identify with that culture. And Kat does feel a lot of that clash in this chapter of Kings. Of Kings. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're both fired. <laughs> We're synced. Or it's like we a could, negative positive, so it like cancels each other out. Yeah. I was gonna say we could pilot a Jaeger, then I remembered I don't think you watched that. Hurtful. No, getting the EVA, Shinji. <laughs> uh, All right, so Catalan is dreading this meeting with Renly. She is not excited. I mean, she's not excited for anything, as we've talked about. With her food finally done, she wants to get the meeting over with and set the pace for her column of riders, and Hal Mullen comes with her. He is beside her, bearing the banner. Their column gets taken shortly after the mill by 20 good men. Oh. Yes, Eliana's favorite men. <sighs> yeah, this Nothing. is actually a different group of 20 good men. That's what's remarkable about it. So there's 40, you would there say. There are 40 men now, <laughs> yes. And the five and five then, huh? Well, 20 good men led by Sir Colin of Greenpools, greets and takes them to Bitterbridge. When they get to Renly's host, it's huge. It's enormous. Thousands of cook fires, horse lines for leagues, great siege machines, mangonels, trebuchets, 
Rolling Rams. I've just got a lot of these actually in CK3. Mm. I have to tell you all, Crusader Kings 3, there's a technology aspect and throughout the ages, your culture learns things. So I just got trebuchets and rolling rams, uh, pikes, a bazillion pavilions, men with weapons and swine herds and camp followers. It's a ton of people, a fucking ton of people. It is, it is. And I like that they describe the tents here as kind of like looking like mushrooms, because not only does it make the whole thing feel enormous, it kind of feels fungal, right? Whereas the tourney described in the hedge knight, if I'm not mistaken, was the tents were kind of described as looking like flowers, and, and it was yeah. it's really exciting and beautiful. So if anything should be described as flowers, like it should be this camp, right? All the Tyrells are here, of course, and we're going to see that the flower, their flowers, like on fucking everything soon. But it's the flowers covering up the rot, the fungus underneath. Much like Tywin's funeral, right? And oh, the roses that the Tyrells yes. hold to cover the stench under their noses. Great point, great point. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, the Golden Rose of High Garden is everywhere, including many of the houses from the Reach, such as Tarly, Fossaway, both colors, Florent, Oakheart, Grain, Mullendors, and then across the Mander are the Stormlords. You've got houses Karen, Penrose, Estermont, and a bunch of small lords that she's like, I don't, I don't actually know them. That makes sense, right? Because they are literally from across the way. Uh, I love that they are here staying across the Mander, which shows that divide, right? And that divide yeah. actually becomes really eminent uh, as we fast forward through the story, because these houses, where they are after this, and by the end of A Dance with Dragons, and where they go after this is so interesting. So we have the first part, Tarly, Fossaway, Florent, Oakheart, Crane, the Mullendors, Parvin Crane. This one is so interesting. He joins Stannis' hmm. cause and ends up imprisoned by the Tyrells later. And then there are other factions, right? There's Lady Malara, who's the wife of Lord Alistair. You know, he gets the old toast and roast. Oh. Uh, Sir Rickard, or Richard Crane, husband of Rylene Florent, who's only mentioned once. He's a throwaway. Meredith Crane came to King's Landing with Marjorie, which is interesting because it's like a, a microcosm of Sansa, right? Like the, mm. She's almost like the sacrifice for her family in their crimes of choosing Stannis instead of Renly and the Tyrells. Uh, they follow the Tyrells to keep in pace and make sure, you know, money where their mouth is. The Tarleys support the crown and the Tyrells. They're going to end up sided with Aegon. That's pretty much canon. We kind of... We know that. We've talked about it. It's it's a thought. They're probably going to go to Aegon later. They're fickle. The Fossaways, Deadstop, Tyrell supporters. Uh, right now, there's really nothing else going on for them. We might see them show up as a friend of the Reach, too. When Renly dies, Mark Mullendor bends the knee to the crown. Cersei then implicates him inside of Marjorie's bosom and her cavern. The Florence follows Stannis, as we know. The Oakharts likely went back to haphazardly supporting the crown and the Tyrells. They just were like, okay, well, that was fun. Bye. My, my son's on the king's garden. I'll just go back to the crown now. Plus, she old. She's having a life, you know? Okay. House Karen, Penrose, and Eastermont. Eastermont's Stannerman through and through. House Penrose, eh, well, we know how that goes. Stay tuned. House Karen also goes Stannis. Uh, I, I thought that was all really interesting, right? With, of course, the the different factions there and how they end up choosing and that they are separated. By the Mander. Mm -hmm. Is it are. a metaphor? That's interesting. Ah, maybe. That and it's literal. It's both. It is both. Yeah. 
figurative and literal. Yes. Well, something that's also kind of like that is what is towering above all of uh, Renly's football stadium size, but not really, but it's still like really fucking big. Uh, Banner. It's this enormous golden cloth with just like the black crown stag of Baratheon on it. And then and then they have this exchange of like, my lady, do you hear that noise? Asked Talis Mullen, trotting close. What is that? She listened, shouts and horses screaming and the clash of steel and cheering, she said. Ugh, cheering? The worst. Yeah, turns out there's a melee. Like, it's happening right here, right now. There's, like, a whole-ass tourney, like, happening for some reason. And they're like, what? What? Let's hit each other with sticks. Let's just get out there and just boom, boom. Yeah, they're just like, I don't understand why this is happening. It kind of like Ned being like, I don't understand why this is happening for me. I I did not The hands tourney, yeah. Uh, and so the language isn't actually similar, but at all. Um, but it does still remind me a little of like an inversion of when Stannis arrives at the wall, right? First there's the horn, and then Mance and all of them were like, you're not tricking us, right? This isn't the Night's Watch attacking us. And John's like, no, no. Oh my god, why is this happening to me? Um, and then so they're like, wait, what is that sound as it like builds? And then turns out like you realize, wait, that's cheering. And it's for... They're saying Stannis. You're like, what is happening? But mm-hmm. with Renly here at this at this tourney, right? The cheering is empty, and obviously, as Catelyn says, like none of this makes any sense. Like, there's a real ass war going on. Like, my son's been fighting in it. But speaking of Rob's war and the men who have come with him, Renly's camp, same as the Northmen, demand entertainment, right? And mm. that's why Rob's like, well. They need something to keep them busy, so we gotta march somewhere. We gotta do something eventually. But they cannot continue a march, right, that requires leaving their holds and their families behind without without them actually doing that march, right? They're gonna, as he said, think of hearth and home. And especially not, like, especially now, he has to move now with the fires of vengeance burning hot within them, right? They're still in it for this cause. But when it comes to Renly's camp, Eternity really does sate, I think, what I see as kind of unambitious, these unimaginative appetites of the Southern Lords, which it, it only seems ambitious because they're like, yeah, actually, I want the whole kingdom compared to the Northern Independence, and because they have literal large appetites, as we're going to see at this dinner. But they can afford to dawdle uh, because the Southern Lords, unlike the Northmen, and unlike especially the River Lords, haven't yet been touched by the war, right? They haven't had... Um, the crown turn on them in the exact same way, even though they technically have against the Rathians, but anyways. Their forces are also, the southern forces here, right, are also strong enough that the crown and Lannister forces cannot dare to challenge the Tyrells outright. And also it's kind of like far out of the way, so they don't have to worry about rebuilding anything, and they have all these resources, whereas Rob's like, no, we have to strike now. In fact, that is literally why Stannis loses, Right, because he mm. gets wrapped up, as we'll talk about in Penrose eventually. I'm sure we'll chat about it again, right? Since we already lived it once, but uh, getting wrapped up in Penrose is literally why he loses. It is absolutely why he loses. And I definitely got these same kind of vibes with Stannis at the wall at the end of the chapter uh, with the siege, the way it ends very mm. abruptly, and it's like, oh. 
they're being besieged. It's straight up Stannis, Stannis, Stannis at the wall, you know. Uh, it's the same kind of vibes, and not many other chapters in the story end so abruptly like that, with kind of like a reversal of the tides, right? There aren't so, so many that do that. Um, you know, Daenerys with the Astapor siege is kind of similar chapter-wise, uh, in a way, in that just similar aspect, which is funny, because mm, yeah. Stannis. Uh, <laughs> um, interesting. 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 Both of John's love interests. Um, uh, similar times. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I mean, how Dario turning on the crows, right? On his mm. crows. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But th- those are definitely some interesting thoughts that feel pretty resonant, thematically resonant about, especially with that Stannis abrupt ending. Yeah. Yeah. And how he just suddenly shows. He likes to do that. All right. For a man who says dramatic. that. Dramatic. He actually is very dramatic. He's very dramatic. Renly's also I can't very believe dramatic. he doesn't have Titus Blackwood on his side. I feel like they could be drama queens, or Khaleesi's, drama Khaleesi's, no, I'm just kidding, together, you know, like feathered cloaks. Honestly, all the Baratheon brothers, now that I think about it, they are all very dramatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, Renly obviously has a flair for drama here, as we're, we're seeing in this chapter, and like, the show, Stannis, his own drama, like, he he's he's... He's very dramatic in the way he wants to do things. And Robert also, he that man knew how to Ragers. throw a scene. Ragers, yeah, but Ragers. also a scene. He's like, if I don't get what I want, we're having a scene. Tantrums. Absolutely. Uh, what are the similarities between the Baratheon bro trio? Well, they are all giant man babies, first of all, with deep-seated parent issues. Next. Actually, though, they are. <laughs> <sighs> So, Catelyn finds Hal Mullen annoying for stating the obvious when he says it, but I kind of required his mansplaining myself. I know you might have too, Eliana. Uh, mm-hmm. And everyone's sort of like, what the fuck? Because Sir Colin is like, oh, one second, let me present you to King Renly. This is madness, Catelyn thought. Real enemies on every side and half the realm in flames, and Renly sits here playing at war like a boy with his first wooden sword. I like that line. That was good. Amazing, good amazing. Especially because we start the chapter with that pivotal her thinking, if only Rob could be at home like a boy with his wooden sword. And then she goes somewhere and sees a boy at a new home with his new wooden sword, right? And his fancy people cheering him on. And she's like, oh my God, this kid's calling himself king? I'm sure part of herself has to be like, make the sign of the the seven right on her face and chest. And like, thank freaking seven that I at least raised them to have a little brains because my children would never play games like this, hopefully, if I wasn't there. Um but at the same time, I think that's also part of her fear, right? <laughs> like, um, I do not want you to succumb to the same manner. And there's also something really significant about Renly and Bran as younger brothers being raised in wartime of their older brother's rebellion, right? So Renly and Bran versus Robert and Rob. Uh, Renly, as we're going to discuss and break down throughout this, obviously learned from Robert's gallantry versus Bran hosting the Harvest Festival and treating the banners and Rob's current gallantry and what he's doing at war and trying to entertain his men, as we've discussed thematically. Bran also in the Harvest Feast comes in. uh, It's really honestly a proud moment that he's riding on his horse, broken but not dead able to ride, something he thought he could never do, right? And Rob, as 
strained as his family tensions are right now with all that he's lost, all that he's losing, and unfortunately, because I guess we're doing these fucking chapters, all he's going to lose, right? Like his life, ha 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 And we're really doing that red wedding shit. And they're, him and Bran are both acting with as much grace as they can muster in this time, I would say, for their age and maturity. Uh, sometimes they're both acting a little big for their britches, especially in the very ever-frustrating face of a fray on either side. Mm. Uh, but look at the Winterfell event, right? The Harvest Feast. Uh, it's understated, but classy. They each bring big animals, so there's mutton chops, there's oryx, there's venison, there's duck, there's boar, there's goose, fish, casks of booze. Gluttonous a little bit on the food, but that's what the lords have to be proud of, right? Of the food they raised in their own land and their giant pastures and this is kind of i don't know this event here feels the same energy as going clubbing mid-pandemic okay having lived through seeing this it just kind of feels like all the people are like oh yeah i'm gonna go out covid's not real i'm gonna go party at the bar this weekend like i don't know like in 2020 sometime but that's what it feels like seeing renly's whole everyone out partying like rolling dice drinking from horns you know like just tons of beer from horns Stannis and Renly learned the wrong lessons from Robert's War. Opposite directions. They took the same information, but opposite directions. Stannis took the suffering along with your men thing a little too deep, right? He's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just be a martyr the rest of my life. Uh, I'll show them all how bad they treated me by winning better. But Renly was like, wow, things are so much nicer now that we're not starving all the time. Thanks to my big bro, Robert. Robert throws great parties, great ragers. I'm going to do what Robert did. Especially when, like, Renly's, probably his biggest, most significant memories are probably during the rebellion and, like, yo, Stannis sucked. I was so hungry. But as soon as Robert was king, things were cool. He was six. You know, like, he was six. Yeah. He wouldn't really have known Robert. Robert grew up in the Vale. He wasn't even there. I imagine he would have projected onto his big stag bro pretty hard as we hear him later talk constantly about the hammer winning the war for Robert. And that's all that matters. You know, I could be a conqueror, but prettier. And I don't know. I I think that being pushed in one direction so hard by Stannis growing up there and like having that influence and having no real image of your big brother of of robert right and the the real image you see is that he just like throws giant feasts gets everyone wasted fucks a lot and wins question mark kind of kind of wins that's a that's a lot of a legacy to like watch and have imprinted on you so it makes sense why renley's the way he is yeah, I think that's a great contrast between the way that this rebellion impacted both of them. I mean, obviously, it has to, right? We we hear so often about how it impacted Stannis because he loves talking about it. Whereas, you know, Renly talks about it a little, but it's something that he was younger during. But I just think just because he was younger doesn't make it any less traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's even like almost more in a way. I mean, I don't know if it's more or not. It's just differently so, right? Because Stannis had, like, the responsibility of it, but Renly's, like, a child. So powerless during it. And he sees Robert as that's what power looks like. Being able to do what you want. Being able to enjoy life. And obviously he covets that. Yeah, and I mean, in some aspects, like, I will shit on Renly all day long. Um, 
We're gonna shit but, on them a lot here. <laughs> yeah, it's the fucking worst. But I just shit uh, on all Baratheons. Yeah, they all kind of. Anyways, <laughs> like Maya is good. Maya's good. Gendry Maya is alright. I like Gendry. Uh, I, I like, like Edric. I, d- I think he's great. We defended great. Edric. Yeah, we defended Edric. Endearing a lot. and earring, if you know what I mean, because it was big floor and ears. But yeah, I, uh, I like Bella. Bella seems. interesting. I like Bella. Ringer Bella. You know. Yeah. Uh, good for her. Yeah, for sure. Argella Durandon. Mm-hmm, You're all mm-hmm. welcome. You're fucking welcome. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, there are Baratheons we like, just not these. I three. mean, even the the Roberts progresses during the rebellion, right? Like he feasted his way around the country, uh, mm-hmm. getting and hid his way in people's cellars across the country, and got himself hidden and ate their food, ate their booze, made his way around. Um, that's a great point. Redley saw, and and that's not to say like a lot of what Robert did right, he did right, right, like. Lifting your enemy up off their knees and shaking their hand and saying, hey, if you're not going to be a dick, then you can join me. You know, we can have a beer. You can sign this treaty to say, I'm not going to backstab your ass. You're welcome back in my graces. We'll build a new world. That was the ultimate hope, right? Like that was, that's the best you could hope for in, in a rebellion, in my opinion, like of someone not stabby stabbing you. You know, then you have Tywin on the other hand and his coalition of like, what if we just killed you and then we wouldn't have to deal with you and all of your ancestors if we just murdered all of you? Hmm. Pretty much. Anyone? Prayers? He's like, I don't care. But I think what you called out for Robert is also a great point because when we're talking about him and Edric, right, we talked a lot about uh, the, the lessons that Edric took from Robert and his legacy, the legend of him, and how much that frustrated Stannis because it reminds him of Renly. And I think it's also because the, what you were talking about, right? Robert being like, yeah, and then like we were fighting, but then I went and then I like fucked that girl over there, even though we were like in this battle. There's no doubt in my mind that these were the stories that Robert <laughs> was telling Renly also. And that's why Renly thinks like, yeah, I think this is what war is like, right? fucking so. people in his head ha 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 speaking of shadows of shadows of shadows yeah so. well Catelyn does take pretty good notice of the southern lords during this and kind of sizes them up Mathis Rowan Lord Rowan and Lord Randall Tarley and like I mentioned earlier Gentleman's Club of the South but then of course she sees Renly the man we're talking about in their midst, watching and laughing with his young queen by his side, sat a ghost in a golden crown. Small wonder the lords gather around him with such fervor, she thought. He is Robert come again. Renly was handsome as Robert had been handsome, long of limb, broad of shoulder, with the same coal black hair, fine and straight, the same deep blue eyes, the same easy smile. The slender circlet around his brows seemed to suit him well. It was soft gold, a ring of roses exquisitely wrought. At the front lifted a stag's head of dark green jade, adorned with golden eyes and golden antlers. The crowned stag decorated the king's green velvet tunic as well, worked in gold thread upon his chest. The Baratheon sigil in the colors of Highgarden. The girl who shared the high seat with him was also of Highgarden. His young queen, Marjorie, daughter to Lord Mace Tyrell. Their marriage was the mortar that held the great southern alliance together, Catelyn knew. Renly was one and twenty, the girl no older than Rob, very pretty, 
with a doe's soft eyes and a mane of curling brown hair that fell about her shoulders in lazy ringlets. Her smile was shy and sweet. There they are. There they are. I, I, I just love those first few lines of, you know, when we're talking about those connections between Robert and Renly of that he was a ghost in a golden crown. That yeah. he's Robert come again. I, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen fan art that made me feel like Renly from my head. You know what I mean? Like, not show Renly. He was great. He was fun. He was a hoot. Uh, he died just like regular Renly, you know? So, whatever. But, Renly in the books. <laughs> Renly in the books. I, I don't know what to imagine. So, I don't know. If you have good fan art, send it to me. Please. I feel- I, I, I want to see I feel like, and I think that the actor who, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but the actor who did Renly did a good job, but I think what they could have done was fucking, like, parrot-trapped uh, Joe Dempsey and had him play both uh, Gendry and Renly. And he'd still be rowing, to be fair, everyone yeah, would say. Yeah, just throw a little, like, different wigs or, like, facial hair on him, right? Or fil- oh, the Baratheons different times could share one wig, too. <laughs> oh just call... <laughs> they are technically Targaryens in some ways, so... Just dye the Witcher wig, right? Henry Cavill, oh, everyone wants God. him to be Robert, too. Just dye that black. Black, black, I think the one. smart choice is obviously cast Joe Dempsey as young Robert Baratheon. That's, like... That's the point. Yeah. You know who actually looks a lot like what I would imagine? Torrance Combs, who plays Seb Bash on Rain, the the very highly historically accurate Mary Queen of Scots story. So <laughs> historically accurate. I don't want to tell you how historically accurate, but it was on the CW, if you'd believe it. So... <laughs> glossing over that he is like total young young robert torrance combs look him up he has a great young robert face beautiful eyeballs good for him he could do it especially because what i always think is so surprising and sticks out to me is that he didn't beard it up like maybe during war you know had a big old bushy beard but even though robert feels like a beard person he he was clean shaven. Ned thinks. Ned recalls mm. clean shaven, muscled like a maiden's fantasy. Those to me feel like important fan cast features. So think about that. Absolutely. You know, yes. someone who was good was Finn Jones as Loris, in my opinion. Well, and, yeah. and we do get our first glimpse at Loris here. Mm-hmm. Different for me in the book. I do have a different vision of him as well. But I like Finn Jones yeah. as Loris, and he yeah, yeah. he's doing amazing here. He's legendary. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he he. Some of the knights team up to try to take him down. So the big confusing thing about this is it's a melee, right? So it's not a tourney. It's not a joust. I mean, it is a tourney, but it's not a joust. There's no yeah, yeah. joust, and it's a melee. So there's like a bunch of people that were out there going to town on each other, and one by one, you know, they're getting picked off. So there's this little passage we get. Uh, a roar went up from the crowd as a helmetless, red-bearded man with a griffin on his shield went down before a big knight in blue armor. His steel was a deep cobalt, even the blunt morning star he wielded with such deadly effect, his mount barded in the quartered sun and moon heraldry of House Tarth. So, it kind of goes through if you're not paying attention, and you have to follow the blue. The, the blue, 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 that's Brienne. That's the 
that's the important part. I'm just going to say is Brienne. But it goes through all the people that she takes down. And here, the most important part is that she's fucking up Red Ronit. Fuck him up, Brienne. He fucking does. Get his ass. Get his ass. God. Yeah. I wish that, I wish that they had brought. I don't think I remember them bringing that up again. Next another time that we see Red Ronit in Jamie's chapters, and you know we we deserve to be reminded of the time that Brienne kicked his ass. Cause I mean, good for her. Yeah. The, uh, How satisfying, you know? I mean, this is a satisfying event for her, and I know we're not going to talk about it a ton ton today. We're going to try not to because you know we have a whole time in the far far distant future that we're going to talk about Brienne. You go you'll all be here. You don't need to worry yeah. about it. We'll let you know when it happens. So, we won't go too far, but this is a revenge like day for her. She's like, "Yeah, I look fly in my beautiful deep cobalt armor that matches my eyeballs first of all." Hell yeah. <laughs> Looking litty, and second of all, I'm out here beating the shit out of a man that fucking disrespected me, straight up disrespected me, and doing it legally. I'm allowed to, and then I'm gonna get inducted as a Kingsguard member. Like, hell yeah, she's got a plan. She's got a five year plan that really only lasts like the next few weeks, but it's all good. <sighs> George had a five year plan too, and look how that went. <laughs> oh god. So the Blue Knight is giving these men a run for their money. These other men, right? This Blue Knight, he is giving them a run for his money. And this is a lot. So the Blue Knight takes him down, holds a dirt to Loris Tyrell, the last challenger at the melee, which is kind of great because you mentioned earlier how this was a tourney and this is literally the hands tourney for Catalan. This is Catalan's hands tourney, right? Here's Loris on the ground mouthing yield at a knight. Uh, almost getting fucked up, just like the hands tourney. And the Blue Knight gives a champion salute to the king. And Catalan's really surprised when Loris gets his helm off. She's like, wow, he's really young. He's only two years older than Rob. And <laughs> then the- pays attention to the Blue Knight's armor. The Blue Knight's armor is full of scars, dented, probably from all the maces and the war hammers, right? Chipped, and the cloak on it is in rags. The knight's movements also show that he took quite a beating out there. Yeah, so we keep saying he. We we all already know it's Brienne, but like the chapter <laughs> says he. Um. Anyways, so yeah, Catelyn being surprised that Loras's age reminds me a little of a moment. I want to say it's in the last chapter, right, where Catelyn's like, Rob Squire is two years older than him, but. Feels so much younger than him, feels inexperienced because now Rob has to be a king, has been at war, right? And is taking on the the roles that men do, which I think kind of is meant to contrast a little with Loris here as well, considering that they're playing at war. And and that combines, right, with the later dialogue regarding Knights of Summer and, and the promises of being memorialized in song, because the melee is very much about that, right? Like all of these uh dents and and the wear on the knight's armor really, I think, symbolizes Brienne's later journey of learning about the broken man or broken women. And um, I think that Chloe's going to talk about this more later. And she might be tempted to become that, but she's felling the lies of chivalry. And it's kind of ironic because I think that Brienne's own story is actually very much recalling the chivalric romance tropes in terms of having a knightly quest later on. 
despite despite like taking down Loris. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Loris did steal her hunky, handsome man from her, to be fair. So what's a revenge story? What's a revenge day? What's good for you by Olivia Rodrigo without this moment of taking <coughs> Loris down, too? And oh my god. <laughs> but, okay, but that is not what good for you was about. Good for you, she was actually, she, she was quite nice towards that other girl, you know, as nice as one can be. In all, that whole album, okay? Yeah, but Renly's dead, bro. look we're projecting anyways would it be a love letter to brienne to introduce her to the story canonically right this is her her appearance without of course appreciating that she is the mystery knight a la the rebellion but not just the rebellion but of course her actual roots and even possibly her genetic roots to dunk the lunk right showing up in tourneys um i just think it's such a beautiful I don't know, it is a beautiful love letter to Brienne and to Dunk and to the Rebellion for all these beautiful classic little themes to show up in a mystery night, coming to the rings and winning the underdog. And, you know, Brienne's described here, you're talking about her as a mystery knight, constantly as the blue knight. And again, that's also part of the chivalric romance, right? And Mm -hmm. those legends, you have mystery knights pop up a lot in in those mm-hmm. medieval stories like one of the most popular is the green knight mm-hmm. also a color versus blue so where's the what's the next one the red knight <laughs> anyway a heart oh. i believe it's heart oh oh i'm sorry it's captain planet reference <laughs> if you're keeping count at home <laughs> well catlin thinks that all this cheers for this mystery knight are quite strange including tarth tarth and a beauty beyond you know there's just a few of those. Most of it is actually pretty quiet. Silence. And then Renly gives like what I would say is actually a pretty semi-backhanded compliment. And then a drunken archer says, you know, the blue knight pulled Loris off his horse and that was improper. And so Catelyn's like, okay. why are they booing the blue knight? All right. The blue knight was right. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. Why are they booing me? Right. Catelyn's the only one right now here that doesn't know that's Brienne of Tarth, right? Like, and the Northmen, right? So right now, before they know that's Brienne of Tarth, I'm very interested in this reaction, right? Like, why are they booing? What's wrong? They they were the best knight in the whole competition. They beat the shit out of everyone, Catelyn yeah. is thinking. So A, goddamn right, they were right. First of all, and I do want to come back to the armor. I I think it's so curious that her armor is described just like she is after a feast for crows, right? Full Mm -hmm. of scars, dented with maces and war hammers, chipped her cloak in rags, which that reminds me of Sandor's white cloak, right? Bloodied and in rags after the Blackwater coming up. Even when Catelyn thinks at close hand, the brilliant blue armor looked rather less splendid. But it's so interesting that in this chapter, her spirit is not like that, right? She is, uh, as we're going to speak about, she's really confident, in my opinion, uh, for someone that just had to face the world and come up here and beat the shit out of a dude that rejected her one time and, you know, try to perform for this other guy she's trying to, you know, live up to the sword for. So, I don't know, I just like... The, the whole, like, this is her day. Like, Brienne's having a big-ass day out, and that's what she's physically going to look like, her armor, but she's also kind of been treated the way her armor looks by all these people already. That's so true. And that's a great point, and it reminds me of little of Tyrion saying, make mm. it your armor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that. That's definitely what you said. What we see throughout this chapter, and like I mean, all of Brienne's story. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I yeah. mean, the whole story of you know, Brienne. every guy playing game with her being like, "Ha ha, lol, you're ugly." Just kidding. Okay, so. That's going to be saved for far off in the future, but this is likely what she'll physically look like. And it is it is sad, especially because now we get the reaction. Uh, Sir Colin introduces her as Brienne of Tarth, daughter to Lord Selwyn, the Evenstar, and Catelyn. Her reaction is, daughter? Catelyn was horrified. Brienne the Beauty, they name her, though not to her face, lest they be called upon to defend those words with their bodies goddamn straight. Motherfuckers say it to my face. And there's something so curious about Marjorie and Brienne being introduced as two types of the maiden here, in a way. Or Brienne is the warrior, I guess, at first. But Catelyn is, of course, the mother in these couple chapters. Very much so in her pain as a mother and in her overseeing as a mother and trying to seek peace as a mother over Renly and Stannis. right? Uh, And here, watching the way these two maids are at at Bitterbridge, Catelyn sees kind of this very binary approach to these roles in the system. Mm. In Brienne and Marjorie, she almost assigns and sees a bit of Arya and Sansa. And in Redley's wooden sword fight, she sees a bit of Rob. Brienne's eyes were large and very blue, a young girl's eyes, trusting, guileless, but the rest. Her features were broad and coarse, her teeth prominent, crooked, her mouth too wide, lips so plump they seemed swollen. A thousand freckles speckled her cheeks and brows, and her nose had been broken more than once. Pity filled Catalan's heart. Is there any creature on earth as unfortunate as an ugly woman? Two minutes ago, Catalan was like, why are you booing the blue knight? They're right. Now that Brienne's a woman, not right anymore. Uh, Mm. This versus the way that she sees Marjorie is something that I feel is so interesting and pointed, especially as we'll talk about in the way of how Sansa sees Marjorie in a different political court, right? Uh, Definitely a different ballgame. The girl, no older than Rob, very pretty, doe's soft eyes and a mane of curling brown hair that fell about her shoulders in lazy ringlets. Her smile was shy and sweet. So between Marjorie and Brienne... Marjorie here for Catelyn and how Marjorie acts in this chapter largely, she doesn't overstep. She plays her role. She performs dutifully. Uh, she says the things she has to say when she's allotted to speak in the chapter. She doesn't overstep her bounds. She doesn't intrude on meetings. You know, she says, for Highgarden, for Renly, oh, thank you for coming. I'm so sorry for your loss. And then she retreats and obviously she's playing a very pivotal role for Renly's camp in that support for the Tyrells. When we see her through Sansa's lens in Sansa's chapters in the stage in King's Landing, Marjorie is taking control in a much different place and way that she has to to keep Joffrey, obviously, and her family aligned. Here she feels pretty safe and seems pretty safe and plays her role. But Brienne, from Catelyn's perspective, which, look, we say it all the time, but it is inherently and systemically misogynistic by nature. It's not a secret that Catelyn has a lot of conservative tendencies, just as she has some societally liberal tendencies. Uh, Uh She rides that line. Brienne is outspoken. She's confident in this chapter. She gets inducted into the Rainbow Guard, and she's not afraid to speak her mind about her beliefs and what she feels about Renly's camp from the get-go to Catelyn. And Catelyn is 
disapproving of that. I think that's pretty apparent in this chapter. She's disapproving of that as well as how Brienne is fitting the role she's chosen. Brienne doesn't fit in the way that Catelyn thinks she should, largely because of how she chooses to define herself and what roles she wants to have in society. I love Catelyn. I also don't think I should have to preface that. Uh, but when Arya has all of this doubt built into her head throughout the end of Clash and A Storm of Swords of if her mom wants her back, we see why here in this chapter. That feeling's probably imbued into Arya uh, because she's lived with Catelyn's systemic and inherent misogyny growing up and seeing how she acts to some of that. We see why Arya and Brienne's chapters do push some of those limits of what you'd expect from 90s to aughts written fantasy in this extremely liminal space and their search for their identity and you know, different disguises and identities they have to wear to navigate and survive in this space, just as Marjorie and Sansa, for that matter, have to wear these disguises mm -hmm. and navigate these spaces. Brienne has to wear armors and different sigils and vows and swords and oaths and Arya. It's all disguises and secrets and surviving and faces and lies and soon coming to a book near you under your chair. It's murder sex. Uh... If you want to read more about Brienne and Arya, I do highly suggest take the time, hop over to our friend Lo, the Lynx's essays on Brienne and Arya. They have a great essay about Brienne and Arya being gender outlaws. We'll link that in the description. It does come very apparent, though, in this chapter, just some of what's built into Kat that she just can't break out of. Yeah, and I think she does grow in it and we'll, we'll all be there, like, soon. It's not... <laughs> It's not that much further from now um, in the next few chapters, but but I think that's that's a great point of all this performance and, and how, yeah, Catelyn, we see that there are times she tries to look past it, but she's still like, I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about that. Not just in this chapter, but in previous ones, and Brienne definitely is among those, and... I think that's a great point to see that switch. And while it's not said, as you're saying, that, that disapproval of when Brienne mm -hmm. sort of corrects her. Well, and that will that change. Yeah. That will change a little. There, There is a certain amount of respect that will come and then it will go because Catelyn is a zombie. So, yeah. Well, anyway, so Renly declares Brienne the winner and then promises any boon she asks again. Feels very chivalric, very legendary, like something from the songs. And she asks to be one of his Rainbow Guard. Her pledge is, I would be one of your seven and pledge my life to yours. To go where you go, ride at your side, and keep you safe from all hurt and harm. And of course, it reminds you a little of, you know, the other Kingsguard and the Danny's Blood Riders, perhaps. But mm. it also feels kind of like what I would say Kat hopes to do for her children, but knows she cannot. Right? Because, like, Brienne... You know, if Kat can't keep her children safe from all hurt and harm, which is which is what she wants for them as their mother, it's why she's dreaming of a past, like at the start of this chapter, where her family was whole and then Bran wasn't injured. Like, how how could Brienne even want such a thing for a king, right? Because to crown him is to kill him, so like, good fucking luck. If she could split herself into five and just go to all of them <laughs> and save all of them, that's all she wants and she can't. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It sucks so bad. Like Naruto and could make copies of herself. Anyway. Yeah, or Loki if you guys are watching Loki at home. Mm. There's a distinguishment actually, but if you're watching Loki, you're thinking about it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really sad that this is what 
Cat is trying and failing to do. It is. It, they <laughs> both, you know, want this for people that they love. And, you know, Renly grants this boon of Brienne and then lift. And then as she's like lifting her helm to receive the honor, Catelyn's like, oh, okay. I see why everyone keeps yelling a beauty at her now. It's not. It's because they're all assholes. <laughs> they're all being assholes about it. Okay. Welcome to the Reach. Yeah. And where Loras is comely. Brienne is homely. And so, Catelyn, as you were saying, right, you called this out earlier, pities her, thinking of, it's really misfortunate being an ugly woman. And I'm just like, I don't know, Catelyn, hold your tongue there for a moment, because I'm looking at your life, and I'm looking at Liza's life, and Liza, at about Brienne's age, was considered to be quite beautiful as well. I'm like, how did that turn out for both of you? Doesn't seem so fortunate now, does it? Seems, in fact, quite unlucky. But, you know... Careful what you wish for. Yeah, I'm not going to say the looks don't impact, like, someone's life, right? In terms of how mm -hmm. people perceive them. And, Obviously. And, like, yeah, it's obvious that, like, for Brienne, it does affect her quality of life, her ability to enjoy it, as you will see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But she doesn't look unfortunate here, right? Her face lights up as she swears to Renly's guard. <sighs> it's a nice moment. I mean, it's her first vow. Yeah. You know, it's her first. Here's the first one. We get to watch it. That's my baby girl. I'm so precious. Mm -hmm. Love her so much. You know, it, it is nice too thinking about, as we talked about, the harvest feast and the pride that Bran felt atop his horse, right? Being able to ride in and not fall off. And Brienne, she's she's feeling pretty proud right now. I'm proud too. So She should be. Oh, my babies. At least a couple of them are flourishing for like two minutes. Yeah. Uh, until, you know, later. So Brienne looks down at Renly during this, a hand higher than him, though he's near as tall as Robert, so jot that down. For some reason, Sir Colin decides he should present Catelyn now. This feels like the right moment. You know, it's everyone's not. really at a high. It's not. It's not. You're taking away from Brienne's moment. You know, I could talk about it for 10 more minutes. Yeah. But Catelyn is like, great. I'm going to remind everyone my son is a king, too. Renly is surprised, but polite, and his queen Marjorie immediately offers her condolences, right, for Ned's death. Renly promises vengeance for him, and again, Kat thinks, that won't bring Ned back to me, thank you. I only ask for justice. Brienne decided her new job also includes a hype man, and she tells Catelyn to kneel to King Renly and call him your grace, not my lord. There's this great line here of, um, from Catelyn of, the distance between a lord and a grace is a small one, my lady. Lord Renly wears a crown, as does my son. If you wish, we may stand here in the mud and debate what honors and titles are rightly due to each, but it strikes me that we have more pressing matters to consider. And I'm like, damn, cat, but also, like, her words here about titles are very interesting. It reminds me a little bit of Aries' riddle, which does also come in the same book, about power residing where men believe it resides, and, and yeah... You know, as she points out, the distance between Lord and Grace is quite small. With enough faith, with enough people believing with you, any Lord can be turned into a king. As Apparently, pointed out by a philosopher, you know, uh, if Northern independence was so easy, everyone would be doing it. And apparently they are. <laughs> they are doing it. <laughs> and Renly, to his credit, handles this disagreement, I think, pretty well. He just kind of laughs it off, compliments Catelyn's words, and then asks, so like... Is your saying to march on Harrenhal or what? <laughs> you know, it's funny because part of me is like, I wish Catelyn had just responded to him like, I know, right? 
and just like smiled and said nothing else. I just like, huh. Uh, Interesting question. Question mark. I know. Huh. She sends back the thinking face emoji. <laughs> thinking face emoji react. Uh, they should have though. I mean, let's be real. You're all going to split up anyway. You should have just joined now, said you'd figure it out later, and just gotten rid of the Lannisters. All of you. All of you dumb bitches. You should have been like, yeah, you're right. Let's all team. It's like Monopoly. You know, like, I always like to team up in Monopoly with people. Make deals across the table. You know, totally crooked shit. But it's like, why can't we all just be... In a perfect world, no war. In a perfect world, we're all reasonable and choose peace, man. So I get that's not really possible. We're not like a war analysis podcast, obviously, if you're this far, 130 episodes, but uh, we try. You're an F-bomb podcast. Yeah, we're a f- I'm still like self-conscious podcast. about it, though. I'm not. I'll say it all day long. I like, This is my space to say it openly. You it's know? just noticing when you breathe. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely, I don't know, yeah, fuck every other second, you know, there you go. You shying away from it, me leaning into it. Mm. I don't know. I do wish they would just give peace a chance, but we know that's not how it goes. And Kat does know what's going on in the war councils, but she's holding her cards close. She's like, oh, I'm not in the war councils. Actually, she she doesn't fully know, as we learned this chapter anymore. (laughs) She used to know, but that's, you know, up until yesterday. She she's been in some of them, so she's allowed to yeah. say she's been in some of them, but so, so yeah, here she is being a little coy. <laughs> Renly asks about Jamie, and Catelyn reveals that he's alive and prisoner at River Run, and Renly's like, ah, you're a lot gentler than the lion, and Lady Oakheart does speak, Aerys Oakheart's mother. She says, the bar is low. Randall Tarly thinks it's weak, but he's a dumb bitch. He also says Rob should have come instead of hiding behind his mother's skirts. Yeah, I actually almost forgot to include that line from Randall Tarly, because I was like, let's just talk about how I hate him. But then I was like, we actually need it, because we need it here for Catelyn's rebuttal of, you know, in response to Randall Tarly being like, hiding behind his mother's skirts. She's all like, King Rob is warring, my lord. Not playing <laughs> at tourney. And I'm like, got him, got him. I know it says icy courtesy, but I'm like, sick, burn, icy hot, Catelyn. Yeah, yo, you know what the Blackwater's about to do? Burn. Anyway, oh, <laughs> it is sure though. She wasn't it's there. Uh huh. <laughs> anyway, Renly takes this well though. He's like, "Yes, yes, Catelyn, you're right." And he grins and he summons a steward to take care of Catelyn's party's needs and comfort while she stays in his pavilion. He decides he's going to stay in Lord Caswell's castle since he was offered it, and then he asks Catelyn to join the feast in the castle later tonight as a farewell. Renly makes a little jab at Robert. Robert tended to overstay his welcome everywhere and then takes advantage of the Keep's woman, according to him as well. So Renly's like, ugh, Robert. And Renly then says, Marjorie is all the woman I need. And as he leaves Cat, he's like, just ask if you need anything. I'll say it's kind of funny that he said, "If you, just ask if you need anything, right? But ask doesn't come with a follow-up of like, and you shall receive. You can ask all you want. Doesn't mean you're going to get anything. <laughs> and it is kind of very Robert, right? Like he is very much like Robert in that, that this is, Caswell says to Renly, oh, you could stay at my house if you need, my lord, and or my grace, whatever, you're fucking whatever your name is. 
you're whatever. You could stay at my house and my Redley. take whatever you want. And <laughs> my Redley. Redley. <laughs> Your Redley ship. <laughs> my brother. And oh, it has that Joffrey at the Trident with Sansa vibes, right? Mm, when yes. he forced his way because that's all he knew from his dad, showing him having learned from Robert. And I also, I also want to say to an extent, this is very... You know how sometimes Stannis monologues off on his own and stares out a window and he's like, my brother Robert would have done this. Renly's doing, my brother Robert would have done this in like a little more confident way. But there is a little resentment right here in this moment. Uh, But he's doing a lot of these moments too. So it's like a Renly thing and a Stannis thing. They're way set in their ways. I mean, Chloe, would you say that Renly is kind of like an Aries and is like, yeah, I could totally do that, but better. No, I would not. <laughs> he doesn't have what it takes to be an Aries next. Flimsy. Uh, okay. One, one day Cold, this, hard, one day shiny this, plastic. This reference will make sense to you all. But not yet. Uh, we got we got surprises every now and then. Anyway, so as Catelyn enters Renly's pavilion, she's like, what the fuck could I ask for? Like, this is the goddamn Four Seasons. And... That's probably why their host moves so slowly. Kind of, again, like Robert's retinue going to the north. Uh, that that whole thing could have been an email, not a whole meeting. Um, anyways, Renly's <laughs> armor stands guard at the door. But it's just the armor, right? And I love that because considering that, you know, while Renly's in the castle, the armor is here in the king's tent, acting in his stead, in his place as the king, which is that hollow crown of Renly's, right? It's perfect for anyone to slip into, as we end up seeing at the Blackwater. Yeah, and I do like also that it's not on because it's not mm-hmm. war. You know, like yeah. that that they're playing, so the armor's off, and it's like... Rob is in full outfit, you know, ready to go at any time. He could mount a horse and go fuck some people up. Renly's like, oh, I'm just wearing my nice silk before dinner. I might change after that into loungewear. Right, and that the armor is so perfect, as we'll talk about in a moment, as opposed to what Brienne's having fought in the melee. Robert would have wanted to fight in that melee. Renly does not. Yeah. And... You know, you're talking about contrasted with Rob, and it's not just that Rob comes out with, like, really beat-up armor. Rob comes out, it's not shiny, because he's fucking covered in blood. And he's like, it's it's okay, Mom, it's it's someone else's. But he's traumatized, he's like, I, I don't even remember whose it was. Yeah. That armor is shiny, like you said, and Catalan thinks... When will my reflection show? No, it's not what Catelyn thinks. I was channeling the the crab from Moana. Oh, yeah. We could go either way, truly. Could be either. Put it on your Catelyn 2 playlist, everyone. That crab does feel like Renly, doesn't it? The face of a drowned woman, Catelyn thought. Can you drown in grief? (laughs) <laughs> she turned away sharply, angry with her own frailty. She had no time for the luxury of self-pity. And yet, she must wash the dust from her hair and change into a gown more fitting for a king's feast. <sighs> well, Catelyn, let me tell you a thing about a storm of swords or two. Uh, I love this because, again, amidst a, 
of the harvest feast, Lady Donella comes up, right? And we do get some pre-Stoneheart Stoneheart going on in brand chapters around this. Lady Donella Hornwood brought no tale of knights and retainers, only herself, six tired men-at-arms with a moosehead badge on dusty orange livery. We're sorry for all you've suffered, my lady, Bran said when she came before him to speak her words of greetings. Lord Hornwood had been killed in the battle on the Green Fork, their only son cut down in the Whispering Wood. Winterfell will remember. That's good to know. She was a pale husk of a woman, every line of her face etched with grief. I'm very weary, my lord. If I might have leave to rest, I should be thankful. Uh, that's... I mean, that's Catelyn. Yeah. What about one child, one husband? What about five children? One husband. Yeah. Still one husband. <laughs> for those keeping count. Not, not for other people. <laughs> I could try it. Yeah, right. Uh, J-Mal. <laughs> <sighs> well, anyway, it's dinner time. And Sir Wendell, Lucas Blackwood, and Sir Perrin Frey, and a couple of the other highborns go with her to dinner. The Great Hall is small, but they are very courteous in this castle. They seat the Northmen among Renly's knights, which is which is good, because technically not all of them are knights. Some are, because, you know, the Northmen don't always do that. Cat is placed between Lord Mathis Rowan and John Fosway, the Green Apple Fosways. They are nice. Brienne is on the far end of the high table, dressed in a knight's finery rather than in a dress, and she looks very uncomfortable and insecure about her appearance, and she doesn't really talk much unless someone asks her a question. And it's quite pointed where Brienne is seated, because it's so far away, right, if it's on the opposite end of the high table, whereas Loris, who's of the same station uh, by virtue of being... Also in the Rainbow Guard, same cloak, right? He lost the melee today, all right? He lost, and he's seated right next to the king. And we know that that's actually obviously because, like, uh, Renly and Loras are in a relationship, and we don't really need to explain this to anyone because y'all have brains. Like, this this is a reread, all right? And anyways. Y'all know what's happening at that table. Yeah, we don't need to explain this. Um, but Catelyn seems to pity Brienne for being an outcast and, and because of where she's seated, which is that she actually is quite aware then of the emotional impact of where you're seated, like what that can do to someone, especially someone who is clearly devoted to a family or a person or a cause or a king. So I'm just saying that like if Catelyn can show sympathy, if she can show pity, which I, I would say actually pity uh, denotes you know to what you were saying earlier, Chloe that she does think of Brienne as an outcast, right? Pity denotes a lack of same stature and, and like, that you are not equals, right? Mm -hmm. Looking down on a person to an extent. But if she can feel sympathy for what Brienne's going through in pity, and, you know, if the titles, like, actually aren't that important, really, I mean, like, it again goes to show that her grudges against Jon, then, weren't just about station, as people like to argue, which, you know, there's a Sure, a portion of it of that, but that there's there's no way that's the whole picture, right? If she can feel this way towards Brienne, it's a much more personal insult where John is seated at that Winterfell feast, and that shows that then she was likely aware of how it affected John and just didn't care. I have bad news. It's not just that she was likely aware; she put him there. And yeah, I mean, she decided the house seating. I- yeah. That's so. that's definitely a lady of the house's job. It's not Ned, and if it is Ned that put him there, it was because she asked. It was him. fear. He, 
Yeah, Ned was like, snow, Ned, snow! <laughs> Sweating bullets. She's like, he can't eat with the family. <laughs> Robert cannot yeah, see him. Yeah, it does suck. He looks like Rhaegar, but emo! <laughs> yeah. But it's also part of that system. I mean, it's that's not proper. That's not what Southern lords would do. That's not what lords would do. You don't put them at the table in her mind. Like that's So her seeing Brienne's down there, it is really a thing to point out. Like she's saying, ooh, that's too bad. Yeah, she's like, hmm, doesn't remind me of anything. Anyway, there's a lot of food because the war has left the riches of Highgarden untouched. And because this is also a food podcast, we're going to read the passage. While singers sang and tumblers tumbled, they began with pears poached in wine and went on to tiny savory fish rolled in salt and cooked crisp and capons stuffed with onions and mushrooms. There were great loaves of brown bread, mounds of turnips and sweet corn and peas, immense hams and roast geese and trenchers dripping full of venison stewed with beer and barley. For the sweet Lord Caswell's servants brought down trays of pastries from his castle kitchens, cream swans and spun sugar unicorns, lemon cakes in the shape of roses, spiced honey biscuits and blackberry tarts, apple crisps, and wheels of buttery cheese. <sighs> mm, I'm hungry again. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm real hungry after hearing that, Eliana. I know. And I was like, I had it dinner does, already. It does make you think of... Uh, I know, me too. I'm like, oh, it does make me think of my leftovers in my fridge. No, it it actually makes me think a little bit of the uh, the old wind's winter to wow coming mm. up. And there is a little chapter for a Miss Sansa, St- I mean, a Miss Elaine Stone, because they're different people, some people think, or something, uh, where there's a very, very fanciful sugar statue and lemon cake statue thingy uh we haven't really seen something quite so fancy as these beautiful cream swans, spun sugar unicorns, lemon cakes in different shapes and tarts. That's pretty elaborate. You know, the North has a big elaborate smorgasbord right now, but that is really elaborate stuff, real fancy. And it seems Lord Caswell is definitely footing this bill, right? And uh-huh. we don't actually know which lord lord caswell is like his first name he was just a lord of bitterbridge he's not talked about very often throughout the main series there's also his son laurent caswell that has a much more interesting story old lord caswell was lord of bitterbridge and his son took a longsword that was made by the castle's armorer for the castle's armorer's son raleigh after taking revenge by wounding Laurent, Raleigh actually leaves the Reach, goes into exile with the Golden Company. Is any of this sounding familiar, Eliana? Raleigh? Golden Company? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, everything that's going on here, right? Big, big Blackfire vibes in terms of, like, everything that Renly's doing. And I also don't want to take credit for that, because I, I don't know... I saw someone else say it at some point. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was someone else, like, on the internet. I saw someone else talk about say explicitly Renly and Blackfire and I'm like not not Renly Blackfire, not that I he's love Blackfire, that. but 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 like connecting them and I, I'm sorry if if you were the person uh, just said the that, way please let me know. Yeah, I don't know if that one specifically was me, but the idea of like Damon Blackfire, right, and mm-hmm. that like whole like really charming starting a rebellion. 
Uh, I mean, especially the whole turny atmosphere going on. That is just yeah. too crazy to me. I'm like, so turny. Uh, a, a turny is where rebellions start, right? That's why there's a lot of uh, Heron Hall vibes going on throughout this chapter. And here especially, uh, a- alongside, of course, those two vibes of the Damon Blackfire, this is totally, totally Egan 2 stuff it feels like Mm -hmm. right like him hosting this big thing in the west while Rhaenyra of course is on Dragonstone hosting her own party of trying to figure out how to take the throne I also kind of feel like this is uh, this this event at Bitterbridge is going to happen again I think it's going to happen through Aegon 6 with that information about Raleigh Mm -hmm. and if not him hosting his own little tourney here maybe we won't quite see that I don't know if we'll have time for that in the main series however um, I think Raleigh Duckfield is going to come take this fucking castle back. I think that's pretty. Yeah. Uh, that that's a pretty big fuck you. We also saw set up in this chapter Red Ronnet, who's also yes going to get his ass beat and his castle taken from him. So there's a lot of groundwork for Aegon Six here at Bitterbridge, uh, and and who knows what the end game of how Bitterbridge is involved is. Maybe Raleigh could die at Bitterbridge. A very sad death just like another kingsguard member rickard thorn died there with maylor remember this is where maylor got ripped to shreds during the dance they just kind of limbed limbed that kid it was pretty horrible um there's there's a couple moments otherwise i mean otto sent ravens there Mm -hmm. immediately that was the first place he sent ravens uh as soon as the greens were like let's go this castle gets its shit fucked up by the blacks the greens ulf the white has it for a hot second it's kind of heron hauling in a way in the dance mm. of the dragons so either way i think that the Aegon 2 to renly pipeline for fake targaryen king is coming canonically you know Aegon 6 get ready you're about to be born bred in the fire of these two <laughs> yeah for sure i mean bitter bridge is like such a such a telling thing right like Reminds mm-hmm. you of bitter steel, and also, yeah, I, I think that thought of could Raleigh Duckfield die here is interesting. It could be where Raleigh has to roll over, dead. Quack quack. <laughs> quack quack quack. Well, though the rich foods make Catelyn queasy, as you were talking about earlier, Catelyn cannot show weakness. So again, she's mustering her strength and courage. She does it, as we see earlier, by donning that gown for dinner. And even if these Knights of Summer are playing at war, Catelyn's son, as as she's emphasized, is actually out there fighting a real one. But this gown is, is part of her own performance of courtesy, and through that, it actually is her own armor. Same as we see other characters like Sansa use it, or even Cersei and Liza, as we've discussed in previous episodes, because this is where, I mean, Catelyn's also doing war, just in a different way, by treating with the king. Mm-hmm. She observes the dinner, noticing that Loras has also donned a rainbow guard cape, interestingly, and though Renly showers his queen with physical affection, the person that he speaks and jokes with most is Loras... Renly's also very gallant. He never laughs too much or drinks too much, and he's showing favor to people of all different social classes. But many of his guests are not quite the same. They are drunk, they're lecherous, they're overconfidently boasting. There's also entertainment with this dinner. There's a fool wearing a lion's head, beating a dwarf, and then when asked, like, why are you doing that? The fool says that he's the kinslayer, and then Renly laughs, correcting him that, no, 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 that's supposed to be the kingslayer. <laughs> 
Uh, this is like a huge moment of just like lots of fun foreshadowing, right? Tyrion Tywin, for example, it could be Purple mm-hmm. Wedding. We get this again, right? We have a, a yes. fun display of a mockery with dwarves. And of course, foreshadowing Renly's false king status and getting murdered by Stannis coming uh, up, right? Yes. I, that's what felt really significant to me, that yes. the fool is beating the dwarf. He's saying, I'm the kinslayer. And Renly's like, no, no, you're the kingslayer. And it's like, oh, that's funny, because you're about to get kingslayed, buddy. Like, real soon. That's a great point. There are layers to this. Onions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I kind of wonder, could this be foreshadowing other things as well? But I don't know. It could be also just the things that you said. Like, that. That. that's sufficient. But I don't know. These seeds, they're all still growing. Sorry, Rob. Sorry to <laughs> me, too. They are. And Lord Rowan, who's there, despite his allegiances, actually gives some voice to his thoughts and to Catalan's out loud while watching this display, this ludicrous display. And he says, they're all so young. They really are young. But most of all, Catalan sees that they think it's a game. Attorney. A chance for glory. Yeah. War will make them old. As it did us. She had been a girl when Robert and Ned and John Aaron raised their banners against Ares Targaryen. A woman by the time the fighting was done. I pity them. Why? Look at them. They're young and strong, full of life and laughter. And lust, I More lust than they know what to do with. There'll be many a bastard bred this night, I promise you. Why pity? Because it will not last. Because they are the nights of summer, and winter is coming. Lady Catelyn, you were wrong. Brienne regarded her with eyes as blue as her armor. Winter will never come for the likes of us. Should we die in battle, they will surely sing of us. And it's always summer in the songs. In the songs... All knights are gallant, all maids are beautiful, and the sun is always shining. Winter comes for all of us, Catalan thought. For me, it came when Ned died. It will come for you too, child, sooner than you like. She did not have the heart to say it. Nor the stone heart, some could say. Oh! Got him. Got him. Oh, there's so much happening here. I'm so desperately depressed. Thanks, Catalan. You know, these lines, they are boys drunk on song and story, and like all boys, they think themselves immortal. Mm. That is a line, you know, that is the feeling. That is the feeling about the entire chapter, in my opinion. God, I don't know. It just makes me so sad because, of course, Catalan doesn't give us a reaction to it, but Lord Rowan says, many a bastard will be bred tonight. Catalan, haha, you don't say. Sounds fun. Sounds like, I don't know it. (laughs) Uh, it There there are just so many thoughts in this story that kind of parallel here, coming back to those differences between how Marjorie is seen by Catalan in this chapter and how Marjorie Mm. is seen by Sansa later on. Catalan and Sansa do come to parallel thought, right? Across the story, maturity level high. Sansa thinks they're children. They are silly little girls. Even Eleanor, they've never seen a battle. They've never seen a man die. They know nothing. Their dreams were full of songs and stories the way hers had been before Joffrey cut her father's head off. 
Sansa pitied them. Sansa envied them. Mm. <sighs> the songs, yes. Eliana, the songs. Yes, yes, it's absolutely, it, that, that parallel is so strong. It's so strong between, like, yeah, the way that, that Catelyn and Sansa react to them. And their camps, you know, like the even yeah. even though Marjorie is seen as different by Sansa, who thinks she has a little grace and you know a little sweetness in her too, and a little confidence, but uh, in that same kind of passage, but that she thinks of these girls, you know, just parallel mm-hmm. to these boys, these green boys in the camp. Yeah, I do absolutely. Even though Brienne is being naive as fuck, okay, like very sweet Brienne. Yeah. I love the songs too. This is total naivety, total eyes big and heartful bullshit uh she we learned that one in brienne arc real fast don't we folks but that that triumphant little you know like you're wrong winter's not coming for us we're gonna be triumphant nights of summer forever you can't help but like that innocence that sansa-esque innocence that catalan does come to see in brienne you can't help but be like oh it's my baby adorable so adorable you're so cute and optimistic and, you know, I was looking for gifts from the show just to, of Brienne's armor, just because I was thinking about mm-hmm. it. There's no signature blue armor in the show. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Justice. Armor as blue as her eyes. Where is the justice in this world, Eliana? Well, Chloe, wouldn't you have known that it's an edgy, serious adult show? You wouldn't have known that if they had given her colorful armor. How, How could, could Zack Snyder's Game of Thrones do this to me? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Gritty. Blue. Just kidding. It's an HBO Max experience. Uh, I'm lucky, like, did Brienne have a death wish? What do you mean? Like, it's always summer in the songs. Right? And they're good. It's um, like, Brienne, were you you planning to die in battle? It's also very patch facey. Maybe that actually is intended since patch face is introduced right amongst these arcs in this book, but. it does seem like a song, like, it's always summer in the songs, all nights are gallant, oh, 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 like, where's yeah. Match Face? I mean, on Dragonstone. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think I've said this before, and I forgot which episode, maybe it was our Northern Independence one, that, yeah. that, that episode that I, like, have no idea that we did, but who knows. But I'm just gonna say it again, right? I'm gonna say it again. All right. Because I'm fucking predictable, and the whole thing of Knights of Summer is reminiscent of Thomas Paine's, like, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. Blah, 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 blah. Um, it's a famous line. Go look it up. That is it. I love that. Sunshine patriot. That's her. That's my sunshine patriot baby girl. You go get them. You go topple them. Brienne. Yeah. Uh, but she's not does, a sunshine uh, patriot, as we're gonna find out. You know, that's she's true. gonna she's gonna make it. I believe in her. Uh and you know, it, for me, of course, it's just the boys of summer. You know, I'm like, I can yeah. see you, armor shining in the sun. Uh You got your horse in the back. We're riding <laughs> on. Okay. Uh, Renly swoops in at the right time. He's like, Catelyn, how about you walk with me? He doesn't quite have the Robert Baratheon cat down. Uh, just didn't ever get it like Robert had it. But Brienne says, Shh, I must go with you, your grace, to protect you. And Renly's like, I'm very safe within this castle, Brienne. Nothing. 
ever could come of harm to me here. I'm going to be really honest, Brian. The odds of that happening are maybe 99 to 1, like half a dozen. It's not happening, Brian. You're crazy. Um, and then he adds, what could get me among my hosts? You know, like, one sword won't make a matter to save my life, Brian. if something were to happen. She takes that pretty personally. Also, she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, she's pretty sad about it. <laughs> she's like, I, okay, I'll just go. It's funny, because, you know, we know what happens. We're like, well, I mean, Brienne couldn't have done anything against that anyway, as we see. So, uh, but also, the one sword will make no matter. It also makes me think of, like, hmm, funny, because everyone's all like, oh, what about that magic sword? Anyway. Yeah, or what's one bastard boy against the life of, you know. Thousands. One single grain of rice could tip the scales. All right, I watched. I watched the cartoon Mulan version. The world is big, but little people turn it around. The miserable. Yes. <laughs> it's the American version of it. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Well, speaking of, they're passing a slouching guardsman. He suddenly like Me. gets up. He's like, "Oh God, oh God, I gotta be paying attention." But Runley just pats him like it's okay. Puts him at ease, right? And and I get it. I get it. Runley is charming, right? We see it throughout this entire chapter. Like, he's very charismatic. He's amazing at winning the love of the people around him. And he does it by putting them at ease. He makes them feel comfortable being themselves and making mistakes. It's very much what you were talking about, right? Of Robert, like, lifting his enemies from their knees. And he, he does it constantly on a daily basis and just smooths things out, right? He he could be actually a very great negotiator if, you know, he actually bothered to think about it at all. But he doesn't and so like who Renly is it's not enough but again I get it I get why people like followed him and I admire his ability to do that and smooth mm -hmm. things over because you know part of what I think is interesting about it is it does kind of seem at odds with some of the men that he commands like the Tarleys or the other kinds of misogyny of the Southerners though I think that's more like they fall out of those codes right mm -hmm. than the sort of patriarchal reassertion that we see in the north because uh, they do also have that kind of misogyny there too but it, and, and that patriarchy there it, it does manifest differently right because rob has to constantly put on these shows of bravado these shows of strength to reassert his power as king and he does it through physical force and violence in order to command the northmen's respect especially you know asserting that force directly onto the bodies of northmen showing that he has power over them, of life and death over them, right? For example, biting off the Grey John's fingers. Uh, he d he doesn't do it, but Grey Wind does. But in a way, it's kind of him. Anyways. Yeah, it's or <laughs> being the one to swing the sword when delivering that capital punishment uh, onto Lord Karstark. Or uh, another demonstration of his power, right? Uh, this victory by capturing the Kingslayer. So Rob has to do a lot of... There is a lot of that within the North. So it is so interesting to me that Renly is able to win so much loyalty through this softer power, his own like personal charisma. It's kind of a softer power, like besides, you know, what the Tyrells offer, they offer both that hard and soft power in terms of the military and the food and resources, rather than like them actually doing any sort of violence or victories. Uh, because Rob has to do all this by winning his men's respect because what Rob has to do in terms of like trying to win his men's respect, it's not that far off from how the Iron Islands flock to power and what Balin has to do to assert his power, and also how Euron does it as well at the King's Moot, which, in fact, it, even though, you know, Renly is 
very much flash. That is actually a little different, I would say, from Damon Blackfire in that people flocked to Damon Blackfire because they saw him as a better fighter. Mm-hmm. They saw him as as actually demonstrating strength. That's why he got the sword. Renly yeah. doesn't do all that. It's all just through his charisma. And they both do, as we were about to learn, they both do really value that sword. They valued the Warhammer, both Stannis and Renly, right? Stannis mm-hmm. spends his time searching for his magic and his sword. And Renly also here says, Robert's Warhammer won that war. That's that's what you need. You need power. You need sheer force. They do respect that, but uh, I think we see that total lack of charisma on one side of the spectrum a lot more than the other half, you know, as far as these two brothers go. Absolutely. Well, as with when she first arrived, Renly is totally trying to get in on the hot gossip, right? He wants to know if Barristan is with them. Is he with Rob? And Catelyn's like, I thought he was with Joffrey. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, surprise. No. You all know why, right? You know what chapters he shows up in. This is a reread. Selmy's going to the true king. And Renly had actually been saving Brienne's cloak for him. He's like, he's coming one of these days, but I guess today's the day he settled. Yeah. Uh, Regifting. And Renly says, well, I don't know. He never showed for me. So I assumed like maybe he went to Rivera and that's the only other king I know of. Interesting. And I'm just like, <laughs> that 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 was a real bold thought of you, Renly. Why why would he go to you? Uh and, and Catelyn kinda points that out later on in this chapter. But you were talking about them looking for that sword, right? The sword being an important symbol of power. Mm. And that's what Barristan is here too, because there's a part of me that sees that a lot of this as like Renly Again, he believes in the songs and the legends, especially those of his older brother. We see later on that he thinks that he's reliving not only a, a better version of Robert, he thinks that he's Aegon the Conqueror come again. And Barristan Selmy is that symbol. He's a sword that confers legitimacy to many people because he also is the hero in the legends for many of these young men and boys. We see Bran being like, oh my god, it's Barristan Selmy! And Jamie's still like, oh, it's Barristan Selmy, I'm really... I'm real sad that I disappointed him. Uh, and, I mean, Renly, right? He grew up, uh, like, every now and then at court and around the legend. And so, of course, he'd kind of hope for it. But, you know, not to mention that for all this... I, I mean, Renly's very well-versed. He's very well-versed in the trappings of power. Well, and that trapping of power comes right back with that Damon Blackfire identifier, right? Mm. Like, with the sword. That was what identified him. He had the sword there. And... I, I think that's a really distinct point. I mean, he's the kingmaker. That's what Barristan is. He makes a king, is what Renly and Rob mm. both view it as, and their courts view that as. As much as my personal opinion that anyone is allowed to have on a character that's not real and is made up can get some shit. I mean, I might not like him, but you gotta respect the guy. I mean, he's had a crazy-ass yeah. career forever. Mm-hmm. He's done some shit. And unfortunately has not done some other shit. <laughs> there was shit that he should have done that he did not do. I mean, isn't that all life is? Shit you should have done. Shit you could have done. Shit that you should have shit. Shit you held in. And Renly <laughs> thinks that the Lannisters are shit to let Selmy go. They should have been oh. holding him in. Uh, he might be old, but he's still good, Renly says. Which, okay, see, and you all boo me. But he tells Catelyn the plan he proposed to Ned the night Robert died. And Cat's like, 
Oh, of course, my husband said no. She doesn't even need to be told. She's like, "Mm mm-hmm, we're aligned. (laughs) He gives the excuse he didn't have enough strength without Ned, so he had to flee. And Catalan's like, hmm, had you stayed, maybe Ned would have lived. She thinks it. She's like, thinking emoji. Thinking emoji. (laughs) Thinking face react, yeah. Renly then is like, I liked your husband, lady, but he wouldn't bend. I'm like, what is it with all these Baratheon brothers? You know, I, I guess just these two, because Robert obviously didn't think that way. But like, both Renly and Stannis, they're very into just kind of semi-insulting Catelyn's like recently dead husband to her face. Yeah, you could be out there hunting her quail, first of all, like Wendell. Wendell yeah. was at least offering to go hunt quail. What a pleasant surprise, okay? <sighs> a pheasant surprise, first of all. Oh. Second oh. of all, hired. 401k. Hired. <laughs> Second of all, it is a little uncouth, though. It, it is a little uncouth. It, it is true, though, that Ned wouldn't bend. I really appreciate that they. she immediately in her head is like, oh, yeah, no. Fuck this deal. Fuck them kings. Glad Ned was the same goddamn way. Uh, I, I do think that it's interesting that Renly's like, well, your husband wouldn't bend. Like Stannis, right? Who Who was likely to break before he bends as well. So I'm sure Renly is used to that personality in that manner. It's interesting to hear him equate Ned with that. But again, Ned's stony exterior to everyone but us. Not everyone knows Ned is a bumbling, soft mess of PTSD like we do. Uh, that's reader knowledge. So interesting. Very interesting. Even Kat doesn't know that. You know? <laughs> that could change a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well... Runley then takes Kat to the top of a not very high tower and tells her everything the light touches is our kingdom as she looks at fires as far as the eye can see. And Runley asks, so how many fires you got at River Run? And Catelyn just doesn't even bother counting. She's like, fuck this, fuck this. Because she didn't come here to do math, all right? Same. And again, Renly's fishing for info. He asserts that with the North and the River Lords, Rob's house probably has about 40k men, and then Catelyn, thinking face emoji, gives up nothing, because she's like, actually, we have less. We have less than that, because we actually goddamn fight battles, alright? So. <laughs> Our anyways. bitches keep dying, alright? <laughs> yeah, because we're actually doing things, getting shit done. Renly, though, doesn't know that, and he's like, well, you know, we have twice that number of men, no. alright? Plus the lords in the Reach, and the others in the Stormlands, and in Dorne who have yet to answer his call, not to mention my brother Stannis' forces, and I'm like, like, uh, yeah, about that. And Catelyn's also like, yeah, about that. She's like, it would seem you are the one who has forgotten Stannis, Catelyn said, more sharply than she intended, which I often also, unfortunately, do. Uh, she ain't wrong, dumbass. What? What kind of delusional little shit-ass is Renly Baratheon? Renly waiting for Stannis to show up and support him is like Rob waiting for Theon to come back, LMAO. What? Like, y'all know they're not coming back. That was possible. That was in the cards a little. That That was was far more in the cards. We know Stannis now. This is a reread podcast. Get it together, Renly. Catch up with the books. You have nothing but time in the afterlife, okay? Also, this is amateur hour. The, The thought that he's like, if I could unite Dorne... I mean, if anyone of all of these houses that has suffered and that has, like, dealt with trauma and with war and fighting was going to align themselves with Dorne 
it would have been absolutely no one else but the wait hold on let me check this the lannisters wait wait did i <clears throat> the lannisters Okay, glossing past. <laughs> Did I pronounce that, that right? That, the that, the that, Westerly. That a, wait, hold on. Looks at hmm. notes. Interesting. Smudged <laughs> on hand. Is that Lannister? Interesting. It's so dumb. It's like, you guys had so much in common. If we could have just moved your nation, you know, like Bikini Bottom style, we take it and we push oh it somewhere God. else. Uh, <gasps> as you say this, it's funny that he's like, I have twice that number when he doesn't. I mean, he is like maybe 60, 70 ish yeah. right now. Uh, 80 at his height. Definitely 80 at his height, but that's taking him yeah. at his value, and we know he's a liar. He he just like got caught up in the grandeur, right? He was all like, yeah, for sure. These people, of course, they're going to support me. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm the best. And I get that. He, he was counting his chickens before they hatched, you know? And you know what? That seems like a Baratheon thing, all right? Is Stannis also counting some eggs before they've hatched, thinking that they're his eggs at all? Maybe, maybe. That's just a thing that goes in this family. Also, not knowing the the other their brothers very well, I, as you said, like why why would he think that Stannis was going to support him? It's, I'm just like, how little do you all know <coughs> each other? Apparently, very, yeah. very yeah. little. So, anyway. Yeah, and, and we see that continued because Renly thinks that Stannis is no threat. I'm like, damn, the Lannisters are so scared of Stannis, though. And he's like, no one would ever back him as king. But Catelyn, you know, basically explains how primogenitor works. And that, you know, Stannis is your elder brother. So naturally, he would follow next after Robert if it weren't going to be any of his kids. And Renly just shrugs and is just like, tell me, what right did my brother Robert ever have to the Iron Throne? He gives some, like, rhetoric, right? He's good at that. And then just, like, lands on, there is my claim, as good as Robert's ever was. And, you know, many people have written treatises and arguments about this, and I, I don't feel like doing it, all right? So. No. no. Uh, go look them up. When all else fails, what would Stephen Adewell say about it is honestly something yeah. I would think. He's done a good amount of these as essays. Check it out. Maybe we'll like that, yeah. too. But Renly offers the North most of what they want. He says, there is my claim good as Robert's ever was, he says, lands, titles, honors, you can be a king, so long as you bend the knee to me. And Catelyn's like, what? And he's like, yeah, all of us can be kings, lol. Um, <laughs> that's not how it works, but I mean, honestly, why not? You know, like, why not? Uh, they call everyone. themselves princes down in, like, Dorne. You know what? Why the fuck not? Everyone can be yeah. a king. And just... Out of respect, they hold the royal styling still. Everyone should be Especially well, then he if you can be an emperor. So bullshit. I mean, he that's the thing that was like, yeah, right. Renly didn't really suffer a lot of bullshit other than being six and also being a Baratheon. But uh, Catelyn asks, "What if we don't?" And he says, "Well, basically," and gives a big explanation, long-winded. And he's like, "That means we're gonna have a fight, like that one time a Stark king knelt to Aegon the Dragon." And he's all like, ooh, like, get it? Because I'm Aegon Dragon, I guess, question mark. Uh, but then they're interrupted. Yeah, I was just like, damn, this boy just likened himself to Aegon the Dragon. What's the dragon? <laughs> Your piggy bank? Yeah, I was like, deers are pretty different. Your wife? Like, I mean, I guess they got some dragon blood. And so he was like, he, he just really like extrapolated that out there. He's like, it's me. 
And At least when Robert said it, like, it's kind of almost believable, because, man, that Warhammer, but... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but he just sort of barded himself, you know, like... <laughs> you can't give <laughs> yourself your own nickname. Convincing... Yeah, he just, like, spun a story around himself where he is Robert come again. That That's what he did. And he's trying to spin this other narrative around himself as Egg and the Dragon, where now I'm like... No, you were Damon Blackfire the whole time. That's why you're at Bitterbridge. Gasp, gasp. And also, you know, now they are besieged. That's what's happened. And Ronley's very confused because he's like, wait, Tywin shouldn't have left Heron Hall yet. And you know what? It's <laughs> not Tywin. These are no Lannisters, my liege. It's Lord Stannis at your gates. King Stannis, he calls himself now. <sighs> gasp. Catelyn called it called it good for her you know but you gotta give the girls commentary something here yeah. here he is it's Stannis it, it totally again it, where's the the audio of Matt from Davos fingers when you need it oh Stannis Stannis <laughs> that's actually it right uh but uh. You know, honestly, the the real the real lesson of this chapter is every everyone here needs therapy. All of these people need therapy. Yeah. Hardcore, especially when like when you consider Renly's talking to Cat and he's like, Well, my brother was this, and if my brother did this, then I can do this. And it's like, so you wanna live up to your brother, you know, the whole Baratheon thing. And interesting but your brother didn't actually do a good job, is unfortunately right. the final word. So it's like, and Catelyn, I'm sure Catelyn probably knows at this point, obviously, because the realm is in disarray, that Robert didn't do a very good job. He didn't give his one month. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like, eh, <laughs> well, yeah, he died. three days. Three days. Well, that's, you know, three days to live, so... <laughs> I mean, he checked out like nine years ago, though, Eliana. That's, That's true. Different. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. he didn't give his notice when he checked out nine years ago. He just uh, stopped doing it. He still got paid and just stopped doing it. How do I get that and job? kings do that. Uh, you just gotta fight a war. Conquer a nation. Eat some good yeah. food. And some good other food. Get, like, fixated the rest of your life on a woman who didn't want you and who died and just, you know, project everything onto her. Easy, okay. easy. I can do this. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> Wait, I can my crown now. Where's that northern all. crown? I'm oh, going to risk ready. it all for the crown, Eliana. I'm ready. Oh my god. Uh, to escape the normalcy of everyday monotony. Okay, everyone. Mm. And I think that's a great place to cut it for this episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> I had a blast at spring break at Bitterbridge. I hope you all had oh a blast god. with us. I guess it's summer break now. Summer vacation. Yeah, summer vacation. The worst yeah. summer vacation ever. Yeah, well, just you wait, because uh, Coachella next year is going to be great. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, let us know. Let us know what y'all thought about this. Let us know who you think drops more F-bombs also. You can find us on social media at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter. Send us a tweet or whatever, or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and if you are not already, please subscribe to us over at Girls Gone Canon on a podcast streaming service near you. If it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, 
Audible, she, she gave up. Amazon. <laughs> Listen, I could go all day if you want, Eliana, but I'm not going to because you can look it up at a local Google search provider near you as well. Yes, and something else that you might want to look up is our Patreon. You can find us on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where we do have special bonus episodes for patrons $5 and up. This month is going to be in the Song of Ice and Fire episode. The last month was a His Dark Materials episode about the collectors. And this month, you know, still in the works, still in the works. Play it by ear. Play it by ear. It will be announced soon, and we have some cool ideas, so couple really fun A Song of Ice and Fire episodes to come for patrons, in my opinion. And for patrons, $10 and up in the Thunder Tier and above, we do also have a Discord where you can come, hang out, talk to folks, and also once a month we do a Discord brunch slash happy hour on one of the weekends. And we have yet to decide the date for July, but we will announce that soon. Yes, coming soon. Patrons can look for that update on patreon.com or in the Discord. As always, thanks so much for listening. I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We will talk to you or at you or in your ears next week. It is me at your gates. Oh my god, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>